Hey, Mina, my man. How's it going? You want to hang out? What are you doing? Um, it's going good. I'm actually really busy. Oh, man, you don't need to do that right now. Let's, uh, I mean, some of the guys and I are about to take a break, you know, just talk about the game last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm swamped. I'm really sorry. Mina, my man, I know you're a basketball fan, you know, shooting those hoops and everything. Let's, uh, you know, just go out and talk about it, you know, mm. you know blow off some steam. No. Come on. Okay. I'll drag you out here, Mina. You know I'll do it. Don't make me drag you out here again, buddy. I'll, I'll pull you by that tie. Fine. All right. Good. Yeah, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Let's do it. Definitely. All right. <clears throat> When Brad came to ask me if I wanted to hang out, the answer is obviously no. This is work, not tiddlywinks. Okay, do I want to hang out with you, Brad? Yeah, sure, Brad. Yeah, let's go hang out. False. I'm here to work, earn my money. Hashtag real talk. Oh, and by the way, don't touch me. Touching me is a privilege, not a right. Okay, let's see what's on Facebook. Hmm. What? Friend request from Brad? We're co-workers, we're not friends. Why, why is this guy Facebooking me? And anyways, I thought this thing was sent on private. How do you find me? This guy's just too much. This guy's crazy. I can't, I can't. I'm not sure why Brad Facebooked me. We're co-workers, we're not friends. Facebook is for friends. I don't know why Brad... Oh, hey, Mina. Hey, Brad, what's going on, How's buddy? Going? Um, good, man, how are you? Good, good. Yeah. Um, did yeah. I, uh, just... No, 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 not at all. Uh, I was actually um, uh, talking about a different Brad. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. In, uh, in accounting. Yeah, in accounting. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that one. All right. Okay. He, um, he, uh, he tried to Facebook me. So, oh. um, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Boundaries, you know, uh, yeah. boundaries. Yeah. Here he's, he's a toucher. Yeah, yeah he, he touches too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's good that you don't do that. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I'll see you later. I'll All check right, you out. All right, take care. Feels so good to be home after a long day. Let me take this tie off. Don't they know it looks ridiculous to wear a tie with a hoodie? And these glasses too. Hipster glasses with the big lenses. Why aren't these lenses so big anyways? No. Let me see what people are doing on Facebook. I'm a little bit bored. Let's see what's going on tonight. Seriously, Brad? Hey, Brad, what's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, no, I'm just, you know, just sitting at home, uh, you know, uh, just relaxing after a hard day's work. Yeah, no, I'm not a, no, sorry, I, I don't, I'm not really up for basketball tonight. There, uh, no, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm just uh, gonna lay here, you know, just a little bit tired. Yeah, no, definitely, Brad, yeah, yeah, yeah Brad, yeah, sure, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, next time, definitely. Yeah. Uh, okay, Brad. Uh, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll see you then. Okay. Yeah, o okay, Brad. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to the second week here in our hashtag refriending series that we started last week. And if you're just joining us here for the first time, we'd like to welcome you here. What we are talking about is about redefining friendships and relationships in general, real relationships in the middle of a virtual world. And what we talked about last week, we kind of laid the foundation 
that we talked about last week is that you show me your friends and I will show you your future. Because one of the things that I believe is that your friends and those who you choose to associate with, and more importantly, how you spend your relational energy in life will oftentimes dictate where you end up in life. And it's not my words. We found those same words coming from the scriptures when it says in Proverbs 13, where it says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. The premise of this series is this, is that you, each one of us in life, chooses how we will invest in the relational aspect of life. And some of us have been investing only superficially, be it online or on Facebook or even with our friends, but it's in a superficial way. And if your relational, the relational aspect of your life is superficial, then your future is destined to be one that leaves you with void and empty and leaves you in a bad place, a state of feeling unfulfilled. Because the quality of your relationships, you know this from experience, not just me telling you, the quality of your relationships more than anything else in life is the number one determining factor to determine your satisfaction in life. When your relationships are here, no matter what else may be going on, you're going to say life is here. You'll be this satisfied in life. And no matter what else is good in life, if your relationships are down here, then you will say the same thing about the quality of your life because nothing will affect the quality of your life more than your relationships. That's why we have to be intentional. We can't just be haphazard about it. We have to be proactive in making this aspect of our lives good so that we can live a satisfying, fulfilling life. Last week, or after last week, I should say, I got a lot of feedback after last Sunday. Seems like uh, what we talked about really struck a chord with some different people. I got feedback online. Some people sent me some stuff on Twitter. Some people came and talked to me right over here. And a lot of people, which made me very, very, very happy, said that what I was talking about, something struck inside. That there is that spot in us which just isn't feeling right. And finally, someone was able to put their finger on it. And I was so happy to see that so many people are committed to making some changes. To share with you just some of the things. Some people shared with me. One person actually wrote this on my blog. They told me that they decided to delete their Facebook app from their phone, from their iPad. Okay, they, not they deleted their account. They just deleted the app because they felt they were spending so much time on their Facebook app. And this actually, this is a mom who's got three kids. And this mom with the three kids told me after she deleted the app, she discovered she has hours, not minutes, hours every week. Once she deleted the app, she found hours of free time that she never knew was available. And she was so appreciative that she doesn't have that app anymore because she was intentional now about her time on Facebook. It's not that she got rid of it. Because again, it just for those who are tuning in, I'm not against social media. I already told you I have a Twitter account. I'm not against it. But I'm against not being intentional about it. So she discovered a new place of freedom by deleting that app. Another person told me their cell phone. They used to keep their cell phone in their room, in their bedroom when they slept. And they said if they got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, they oftentimes found themselves just checking Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is or their email on the way. And they didn't realize, but they found themselves addicted to that phone. So that person moved the phone out of the room, put it in another room. All of a sudden, sleeping much more free and easy at night, much more comfortably. Most important feedback that I got last week, several people appreciated my rant about telephone conversations. And every single person who called me this week had a very direct and upfront stated conversation. And that started last, last Sunday when I, I left church here. My sister-in-law called me, okay? And she called me and she said, 
Hello, Father Anthony. This is your sister-in-law. I would like to take two minutes of your time to inquire whether or not you found my hat in the church after you left, okay? And of course, I think she was being funny. I appreciated it tremendously, okay? And I've had very, very concentrated phone calls all week, so I'd like to thank everybody for that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out the talk last week, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Most important thing that I took away from last week that you guys told me is that we are not going to take it anymore. We are not going to be sucked into the social media vortex. We are not just going to allow our relationships to go down the toilet. We are not going to take it anymore. We're going to delete apps if it has to. We're going to throw our phones in another room. We're going to be in, make phone calls and answer the phone, whatever it takes. We are not just going to go easily into the night and watch our relationships go down the toilet and be left with this void. We are going to fight for the depth and the quality of our relationships because we know ultimately that that leads to the depth and quality of our life. So with that said, let me shift gears right here, get into today's topic, but I'm going to talk about something different. Who wants to be rich? Anybody here want to be rich? Very good. Raise your hand if you want to be rich. All right, now raise your hand if you're a liar, okay? Very good. Everyone should have raised their hand. Everyone wants to be rich. I want to be rich. You know why I want to be rich? Because I believe with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength that being rich will make me happy. Do you agree? You don't agree? I believe that being rich will make you happy, and I got studies to prove it. But it's just the right kind of rich. Because studies say that there's different kinds of rich. I got you now. I do a little fast. That's right. Every now and then I know what I'm doing up here. Okay. There's three kinds of being rich. All right? And when I said rich, all of you jumped to the first kind, which is the material riches, which is most of us associate rich with being materially rich. Money, possessions, house, cars, clothes, whatever it may be. Of the three kinds of being rich, this is the least valuable because this kind of riches goes away when you go away. This kind of riches is very temporary. may last 50 years, 60 years, 70, 80, max, and then it all goes away. The next kind of rich is being spiritually rich, which is the most important of all because that's an eternal richness, and that richness comes from a relationship with our God. And when you have a deep, fulfilling, satisfying relationship with God, you feel rich. Sorry, you are rich in a way that people may not understand unless they have it. And then the third kind of riches, which I'm focused on here today, is equally as important as the spiritual, which is relational riches. And did you know that you can be very poor materially, but live a very satisfying life, a very rich life, because you are rich in a relational way? You don't need to be very smart to realize there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of the first kind of riches and are miserable. And a lot of people out there who are lacking at first but have two and three and they find a lot of joy in life. If you've ever been to a third world country, third world country, if you've ever been on a mission trip, I've been on several mission trips, probably seven, eight, nine, ten, I don't know how many been on in my life. And every time I go, I would always bring a group of young people with me. And every time the group of young people would come, each one of them would say the exact same thing that I said my first time, and it's almost like it's too cliche to even say it. Like, y'all even know what I'm saying without even me saying it. You go there, all right, and as soon as you go, you're immediately overtaken and devastated by the poverty and the way people live, and the houses are so small, and then and there's like 12 people living in a house, little hut the size of this stage right here, half this stage, and the poverty and the sickness and the illness, and you look and say, wow, these people materially are very, very poor. And then around day two, day three, day four, by day five for certain, 
you find there's a little piece of you that's jealous. A little piece of you says, they have something I don't have. And like I said, it's become so cliche. We've heard it so many times, but there's a reason why it's cliche. After a few days, you realize, I may have much more than them, number one. But spiritually, a lot of them are much richer than us. They have a deep relationship with God that sustains them through the hardest of hardest times. And also relationally. You go to some of those places where people have nothing, but they have a word, it's called family. And that word family means something. They have a word that's called friends. And that word friends doesn't mean people on the internet. Doesn't mean people who you accept and deny and poke and unpoke. That word friend has real meaning. And it means someone who sticks closer than a brother. And for those people who may be very poor materially, uh, compared to us, we're very rich materially, we find ourselves a little bit, and we won't admit it, but there's a little piece of us that envies what they have. Why? Because like I said, your quality of life is determined from the quality of your relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with others. We are very rich materially, but when we're poor in the other ones, you'll find your life always lacking. That's why I'm going to say this here today. Here's our key thought for today. If the quality of life truly comes from the quality of relationships, and if I need to have that quality in those relationships from, to live that satisfying life and to fill that void, then here's our key thought for today. You might be one friend away, or one friendship away, from altering your future forever. Now you sit there and say, you're being a little bit dramatic. Am I being a little dramatic? Maybe. Maybe I'm being right. You might be just one friend away, one friendship from changing your life and putting your life on a whole new course. You don't believe me? Today I'm going to talk about this. Okay, and I'm going to give two examples. I'm going to go back and forth. I'm going to talk Bible, and I'm going to talk personal experience. Okay, and you're going to see that the two are walking hand in hand. And I bet you, as I'm sharing personal experience especially, that I want you to share your own personal experience, to think through your own personal experience, to tell me if what I'm saying is true or not true. Let's start with the Bible. We're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 9. In the book of Acts chapter 9, there's a guy named Saul, who many of you know as Paul the Apostle, the evangelist, the guy who wrote half of the New Testament. But if you go look at the life of Saul, it didn't start out very good. Saul started out as a Jewish person who was very, 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 very devout in his faith, so devout that he hated anybody who wasn't Jewish, especially anyone who was a Christian. He hated them, he was disgusted by them, and he persecuted them, and he became the chief killer of Christians in the first century. He lived his whole life to kill these guys. Then all of a sudden, he met Jesus. And all of a sudden, his view changed on everything. And Jesus shifted his mind, and he said, wait a minute, I'm killing people of the true gods. And then he shifted the other direction. And now he wanted to stop killing them. He wanted to actually priest, preach the risen Christ. And he wanted to join the apostles. That's where we'll pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, and did not believe that he was a disciple. He came to the, the apostles and the disciples and said, Hey, good news, guys. I'm one of you now. And they said, Lock the doors. He's coming. Don't let him in here. And can you blame them? All he had done, he had been a killer 
of Christians all over the place, and they knew that about him. This was the equivalent of bin Laden, when he was alive, strolling to the White House and say, hey, can I work for the CIA? It's the equivalent. Of course, they say, no way, man. Get out of here. You can't be with us. You can't sit at our table. You can't hang out in our stuff. Get out of here, man. And they rejected him. Then look what happens next. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. What happened? God sent something to change the life of Saul and eventually to change the world forever. What did God send to change the life of Saul? A friend. A friend walked in. And a friend said, hey, I believe in you. Come with me. Hey, I'm going to stick my neck out on the line for you. I don't even know if you're going to kill me when we get in the car or the, the road, okay? If, I don't know if you're going to kill me as soon as I turn my back, but I believe in you. I'm going to stick my neck out on the line for you. I call you my friend. What was the end result? Next verse. So he, being Saul, was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And dot, 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 the world was never the same ever again. The greatest New Testament writer was born, the greatest apostle, the greatest missionary, the greatest evangelist was born. How? Because he encountered a friend. And this friend changed his life forever. Where do you think Paul would be if it wasn't for Barnabas? Where do you think he'd be? Who knows? Maybe he would have gone back and, and been uh, a Jew again. Maybe he would have not believed. Maybe he would have believed, but he said, uh, these Christians, like, I don't want to be one of them. Like, come on, people do this all the time, right? They come to church, and they don't get accepted, so we go out and say, no, 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 they're bad guys over there, and we don't believe in them, and they're bad because someone rejected. Like, people have left the church for much less. So St. Paul was rejected by them, rejected by the head guys. Certainly, he wouldn't have been the evangelist and the New Testament writer that he was. Paul's life was changed forever because God introduced a friend. And that friend changed him, and he ended up changing the world. It could be the same for you. That's why, yeah, maybe I am being dramatic, but maybe I'm being right. Maybe you are just one friend away. Maybe you have the worst spending habits in the history of humankind. You flush money down the toilet like it's water. And you have the worst habits in the world, and it's just you're just one friend away. Meeting one friend who comes into your life and says, hey, man, that ain't right the way you're living like this. Let me help you. You're one friend away from a whole new financial future. You may be one friend away from stopping some of those bad habits that you find yourself falling into and you see yourself constantly and constantly. And co you just need one friend to say, hey, I'm going to support you and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to hold you accountable and I'm going to be your companion in this journey. You're one friend away. You're married. You're struggling in your marriage. You may be just one friend away. You may be just one friend away. You always bashing your husband and always putting him down and always insulting him. You're just one friend away from someone walking into your life and saying, hey, this is not the way to be a godly wife or a godly husband, whatever. This is not the way to be a godly spouse. And you need to stop complaining about your marriage and invest in your marriage. You may be just one friend away from changing your future. Me personally, I can speak to this very person. Because there was a time in my life where I wasn't very close to God. I didn't come out the womb dressed like this. <laughs> with a mic on my ear and stuff like that. 
I grew up the way 99% of people grow up. Like, okay, God is nice. You know what I mean? Like, he's there on Sundays, but, like, I'm hanging out Monday through Saturday and doing my own thing. All right? And we just kind of visited God. And we kind of, you know what I mean? Like, like I wasn't a bad kid, but I wasn't that into church, wasn't that into God. So God was just kind of there on the periphery. And then I remember, it was after my, my third year of school, of college, that, uh, I don't know, some things happen, and you find yourself, you know what, like, I found myself a lot like Paul, that I kind of came back, and I was kind of testing the waters. Because that's what we all do, right? Because we're cool, and we don't want to get rejected. So, I mean, I don't care about hanging out with these church people, but, you know, let me just kind of test out the waters. That's how we all are, right? No one wants to come in and jump in and get rejected, so that's how I was. And I still remember very clearly there was two guys. And I won't say their names because they hate it when I say their names. Because every time I say their names, they're like, you always tell the story about how we helped you, okay? But then you, like, leapfrogged over us. Okay, we're still, that's, they, always, they don't like it when I say their names. But there's these two guys, okay, that when I came back to the church, that they welcomed me into their group. And they started inviting me to hang out. And, of course, I would never admit that that's what I wanted, but that's what I wanted. And they said, okay, come hang out with us. And then, you know, over here, over here, we're going on this thing. And then I knew they really loved me. They tried to set me up with this girl. Then I knew I was really in the inner circle. (laughs) And they welcomed me as one of their own. And to this day, like, I'm not, like, great friends with them now. Like, we don't, neither of them are, like, live in this area. But anytime I see them, I'll tell them, hey, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. And I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that my life was changed because God introduced those friendships into my life. Even if they were only for a season. That's the key part. Even though they're not lifelong friends of mine. I mean, we're friends, but I'm saying, like, we're not best friends forever. But I'm saying God introduced them for a season, and God changed the trajectory of my life in a whole new direction through the introduction of those two friendships. I want you to be thinking about this as I'm talking. We're going to talk about three different kinds of friendships that you may be lacking and needing in life. And I want you to be thinking, what might you be just one friendship away from. Three kinds of friends or three aspects of friendship that we all need in life, okay? And they can be filled by the same person or multiple people, whatever it may be. We're going to use the life of King David to look at three kinds of friends that God used in his life to make him King David. First is Samuel. Samuel is a friend who makes me better. Samuel is a friend who makes me better. We all need somebody who helps us improve, who makes us into better people. Call it a mentor, call it a coach, call it a role model, call it a big brother, a big sister, call it whatever you want. We need somebody who's there to push me to become a better person in life. Why? Because the secret to success in anything in life, I'm going to give you all a little secret. Let me tell you the secret to being successful in any aspect of life, any aspect, career, relationships, whatever it is, spiritual, one thing. You want to know what it is? Find someone who has accomplished what you want to accomplish and do what they do. Find someone successful and do what they do. That's why one of the things I always do, I choose which restaurant to go to based on the people inside. I see everybody inside not looking like they're in good shape. I don't want to eat there. <laughs> I like to go to restaurants where the people around me are in good physical shape. Even though I'm not in good physical shape, okay, at least as much as them, but I feel like if I'm in the same place that they are, I got a better shot. 
You want to be successful in your career? Find someone who accomplished what you accomp what you want and do what he did. You want to be successful in cooking? Find someone who you want to make good banana bread? Find someone who makes a good banana bread and then say, hey, can you give me the recipe? It's much easier, I discovered in life, to use a recipe than to start from scratch in any aspect of life. And the same is true when it comes to needing a mentor. Instead of trying to do it on my own, I want to find someone who has accomplished it, then I want to use them as my role model, as my guide, as my mentor. Bible says it this way, Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans go awry. Awry means bad, means broken. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. David was a great man for God. But the reason why David is who he is was because he had a guy named Samuel in his life who believed in him and helped him to become that. Let's go back to the beginning of David's story. David started off as a young guy, just a shepherd boy. One of many brothers of a guy named Jesse. All right, and one day, Israel had a king at this time. His name was Saul. And Saul started off as a good guy, but eventually Saul went the wrong direction, and God said, I don't want Saul to be king anymore. I want a new king. I reject Saul as king because he has rejected me. He's done. And he goes to a guy named Samuel, an old guy. He says, hey, Samuel, we need to find a new king. Go to the house of Jesse, and you're going to find one of his sons, and you're going to make him the new king. So Saul, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. He says, bring me your children. And Jesse brings seven of his eight children in front of Saul, or in front of Samuel. And he starts with the oldest, and he says, this is the strongest boy. You want him to be the king? And Samuel, no, he's not the king. And they went one by one through all the list of the sons, and Samuel got to the end and said, none of these are the king. Samuel was confused. So Samuel asked him, is these all your boys? And Jesse said, yeah, oh, oh, that's right. There's this one little boy. This, this boy, he's out in the back somewhere. And, and, and oh, I didn't realize you wanted to see, like, he, you're, not, you're definitely not going to want him. He's a nobody boy. That's why I didn't bring him in front of you. When you said you want a king, I brought you the good ones. And Samuel said, bring me that boy. Let's just give him a try. And Samuel saw the boy David, and he looked up at God, and God told him, that's my man. So Samuel looked and said, that's the one. Why? Because God doesn't see as everyone else sees. God looks at the heart, and God saw the heart of David and said, this is the one that I have chosen. That's what we'll pick up the story here. 1 Samuel 16, 12. Now he, being David, was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, the Lord said to Samuel, arise and anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Understand this, okay? The hard part of this, okay, God, Samuel at the beginning didn't see it in David, but God put it inside him, okay? So remove the God aspect for a minute, because even though we know that the God is the one who put it in him, as far as David is concerned, he didn't know that God was speaking to Samuel. All he knew was, here I am, this good-looking, ruddy young man who my own father doesn't see any value in, and all my brothers see that I'm worthless. I'm not even worthy enough to come and say hello to the great prophet of God, much less be chosen as a king. They all saw me worthless, and this guy said, I believe in you. This guy saw something in me which nobody else saw. And he saw this young man be the great king of Israel. We all need somebody like that. We all need somebody to believe in us. Because there are many times where you will find many people who do not believe in you. And they will poison your head 
to the point where you yourself don't believe in yourself. And if you don't have somebody, a friend, who is there to believe in you and say, no, I believe you can be great. I believe you can do this, and I'm willing to help you do it. That's what Samuel was for David. He was a mentor. He was a role model. He was a coach. He was an advisor. He was an older brother. Call him whatever it is that you want. He was somebody who looked at him and saw the potential and said, I want to make you a better person, and I believe that you can become better. Do you have that? Do you have that? Or all your friends are people who bring you down. Like you're hanging out with all people, like I said, you're hanging out with all people who have bad marriages and think that they can never have a good marriage, and this is your group, and they're supposed to make you into a better marriage? You're hanging out with all people who, who throw their money away, and these are the people who are supposed to help you get yourself on track financially? you hanging out with people who eat donuts like it's a hobby, and you want to get yourself in better shape? Man, you need somebody to push you and make you a better person. Me personally, again, I'll share myself. I have someone like this. I have a mentor in life, someone who's not part of this church, but he's a good friend of mine. He's someone I try to meet with quarterly, but because of schedules, we don't end up meeting as often as we want. This is somebody who helps me. Three aspects that I always see in this guy. Spiritual, like his personal relationship with God, that's why I chose him. Mixed with family, mixed with normalcy in life. Okay, I don't know how you put that, I call it normal. Meaning that I, I admire very much his zeal and commitment for God, his knowledge of God, his love for God, combined with his commitment to his family, and I, find, I think he's one of the best dads and best husbands that I know, added on top of he's a normal person. Like he's not a weirdo. Like he knows how to watch football on Sundays, and he knows how to have a normal conversation, and he's not weird. I love this person. This person's a mentor for me. I try to meet with this person every so often because he pushes me to be better. Because when I meet with him, I see that, you know what, you can have all. I don't need to choose between God and my family and normal. Between God and my family and myself really is what it is. I don't need to choose. I can find all three of those, and he pushes me to that point. Do you have a Samuel in your life? And please, please don't say, yes, it's my priest. Father Anthony, you're my Samuel. I'm not anybody's Samuel. Don't say I'm your Samuel, because that's a cop-out. You see me, we sit and talk once a year, and I'm supposed to be somebody who's mentoring you and picking you up? That's not, that's, that's not what priest is. So this is somebody that you have a relationship with, somebody that you're talking to on a much more frequent basis. Ask yourself, who's your Samuel? Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We, in order to be sharp, we need to find Samuels in life to help us become sharp. That's number one. We all need a Samuel in life, someone who makes us better. Number two, we need a Jonathan, a person who makes me stronger. A person who makes me stronger. True or false, Christianity is not an easy thing. Living successful in life and maintaining your Christian values is not an easy thing. If you are trying to do it alone, I have bad news for you. You may be okay today. You may be okay tomorrow. But I bet you there's going to come a point in time where you're not going to be okay and you're going to need someone to help you up. It's exactly like climbing a mountain. Look, I can climb a mountain and I can get from here to here and here to here and here to here. But are you going to bet on the fact that you can make it to the entire way to the top without falling down so you don't need a partner? 
Man, you may have been okay on step one, step two, step three, step four. But you're betting, you're banking on the fact you're making the top of Mount Everest without falling, that you don't need someone to tie yourself to? Man, that's a foolish bet, that only a fool would bet that. If we want to live godly in life, and we want to be successful in life, we want to be good stewards of what God has given us. We want to be good fathers and mothers. We want to be good husbands and wives. We want to be good brothers and sisters, daughters and sons. We want to be all these things. I'm telling you, you need somebody to help you along the way at certain points in the journey. John, uh, Jonathan for David. So David, we're going to fast forward his story. So Samuel met him, anointed him king. All of a sudden, David was anointed king, but Saul is still in power as king. But God told David, like, I'm going to anoint you. And Samuel says, don't worry, David. Wait your turn. You're going to be the great king. But for now, Saul is king. David joins the army. David becomes a great war hero. Saul used to be the war hero. Now David is the war hero. Everybody loves David, except Saul. Because Saul used to be the most popular. Now David is the most popular. Saul used to be the hero. David is now the hero. Saul hates David's guts. And Saul tries to kill David on multiple occasions. That's where we pick up the story. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. I love that. Strengthened his hand in God. What Jonathan did, even though Jonathan was the son of Saul, Jonathan was the friend of David. And Jonathan knew that Saul was not being very nice and being unfair to David. David didn't do anything wrong. So Jonathan, on multiple occasions, saved David physically, like saved, helped save his life from his crazy dad. But he did much more than just save him physically. He strengthened him spiritually, emotionally, on the inside. And that's why I love that. He said he strengthened his hand in God. I don't care how strong you are, how mature you are, how independent you are, how introverted you are. I don't care about any of that stuff. There's going to come a point in time in life where you are going to fall. You are not going to be able to get yourself back up. I always think of that story in the gospel where there was the man who was paralyzed and he needed to get to Jesus. He couldn't get to Jesus. And he had four friends who picked him up. Many times in life, people come to me and they say this and they say this. And I say, I look at them and I say, you know what? You're at the point where you cannot. Sometimes you're so sick you can't even check yourself into the hospital. You need somebody to come pick you up and take you to the hospital. And there's going to come a point in time in life where every one of us, no matter how strong we may be, we're going to get to that point. And again, I'll use myself as an example. For those who know me know I'm a very, I don't know, I'll say the words, you, call it, you say however you want. I'm an independent person. I'm very, like, keep to myself. I'm strong. It doesn't, it's not easy to get to me. Partly because I'm, I'm strong, but I'm not very smart. So a lot of times things don't get to me because I don't get it. Okay, and you can insult me and, you know what I mean, like, I don't get it. Sometimes people have to draw a picture for me. So it takes a lot to get to me. And it takes a lot for me to get myself down. But even I, believe it or not, okay, I have to admit it, I'm a human being and I get down sometimes. I know you don't want to believe that the guy in the black is a human being, but don't tell anybody I was a human before I was a priest. Okay? So I became a human first and then became a priest after. So I'm inside here is human. And every now and then, things get me down. Especially sometimes I remember there was a time in my life where, you know, like the one thing, sometimes you get criticized. All right? And, and, and I get criticized often. 
by people that I don't know, okay? And believe me, it doesn't bother me because I don't know them. I mean, if I don't know you and you don't like me, like, what do I care? You don't know me. Like, I don't care about the people who don't know me. I care about the people who know me. Like, I just feel like it's logical. Somebody who doesn't know me, who doesn't like me, doesn't know me. So what do I care? And then sometimes you get criticized by people that you do know. And that, one of those, is more powerful than a hundred of these. These, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, the, these, 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 little, okay, these little flicks of the ear. But these are stabs sometimes. And I remember there was a time where I was very tired, working very hard. And that's the thing. is, is, is one thing if you're lazy and you get criticized, that, that's fine. Like, then you should be criticized. But it's one thing when you're working hard and you're investing and you're trying and you are and, and you're giving it your best. Are you giving it with the old college try? And then just someone, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Someone just comes in and says something. And especially when that's a person that, you know, that hurts a little bit. So even I myself found myself in one of these phases, I was down. And I found myself saying, I actually said this, I didn't mean it, but I said it, I'm honest. Is it even worth it? Like, is this all this worth it? Is this worth it? You break your back. You break your back for people, and they don't appreciate you. Yeah, it's not like you living in a mansion or you're getting millions of dollars for what you're doing. All you're doing is get grief for yourself. I'm just confessing. Like, this is not how I'm saying now. But I'm saying I'm a human being. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to break your back and people don't appreciate you? I find myself in one of those phases. And I was with a friend, a friend who's not here. And that friend basically kicked me in the rear. And I told him how I was feeling. And he said to me three things. I'll never forget. He said, number one, the reason you're being attacked is because you're doing something good. If you weren't being doing something good in life, everyone would leave you alone because everyone leaves the lazy people alone. So that was number one. Number two, Jesus said that blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things against you. Or what the people saying about you, is it true or not true? I said, no, it's not true. Then you should be the happiest person because Jesus said you will be blessed. You believe it or you don't believe it. I said, I believe it. And he said, number three, and this is where he like opened himself up. He said, the truth is, I wouldn't know God if it wasn't for you. And then he said, my parents, old people, they wouldn't be in church every week. They're old, and you changed their life. And he said, I can bring to you right now, I could bring 10 people, one after the other, that say if it wasn't for you, they would never have given God a chance. And they'd have never opened their life and their heart to God. So don't tell me you're not making a difference because you are making a difference and you need to stop this loser talk. And then he started to use some of my old sermons against me, and that's the worst, okay? And he says, you're the one who said that if God is for us, who can be against us? And you're the one who said that all things work together for good to those who love God. And you're the one who said that God will do exceedingly abundantly about all that we ask or imagine. So you're the one who said all that stuff, and God is clearly working. So get yourself out of the gutter and pick yourself back up and get back to work. Man, I'm telling you, even Debbie Downer herself couldn't be discouraged after that kind of a talk. I don't know. I don't know. But he may have changed my destiny that day. My future may have been changed that day. I don't know. I don't know where I've been. I don't know where the road was going. I know it was going in the wrong direction, and then I hit that point, and that friend kicked me in the pants and got me back on the right track. One friend, all it takes to support you and strengthen you but the right kind of friend. Not the friend who says, hey, I will pray for you. The kind of friend who says, I will pray with you. I'm coming over now. Not the kind of friend who says, 
hey, um, you know, Easter's in a few weeks. You should go to church. The kind of friend who comes to your house and says, we're going to church this Sunday because you need to be there. I'm spending the night at your house. Not the kind of friend who just every now and then mentions that, you know, the, the kind of friend who looks you in the face and says that I believe in you. That was the Samuel one. I believe in you. And we need to fix this situation. You're better than this. You have a friend like that? I have people who come to me sometimes and say, you know what, Father Anthony? I woke up in the morning, and I just prayed for you. I just felt something say, pray for you. And I say, you're a friend. You made me strong today. I have people who come to me. I have the best friends in the whole wide world, I'll be honest. I do, and it's all from God, because I'm not the best friend. Like, I know myself, I'm not a good friend, but God has somehow surrounded me with great friends, even though I'm not, and I pray that God rewards them because they're the best. I have people who come to me and say, I found this verse, this verse is for you. And it's a strengthening verse, a strengthened his hand in God kind of verse. You have people like that in your life? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You don't got anybody who's supporting you, who's making you strong, I say you're going to be weak. It's not my words. Ecclesiastes 4.9, a verse we all heard many times. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. You got two choices. You either bank on the fact that you are never going to fall, you are never going to be discouraged, you are never going to have a down day, or you be smart and you build yourself a support network around you so that when the rainy day comes, you know where your umbrella is located. This is why one of the things that we stress here in this church very much something called life groups. And if you never participate in a life group, I tell you, you have to join a life group. We're going to start them very soon in a few weeks. You have to join a life group. You say, why? I have a support network. Or, or you say, I don't need a support network. I'm fine. I say, yeah, man, you're fine today. But you banking on the fact you're going to be fine tomorrow? You say, look, it's not, it's not raining today. I don't need an umbrella. But trust me, the day that it starts raining, that's not the good day to shop for the umbrella. Believe me, I know because we always, like, the, the, we don't have a sled, okay? Then every time we say we need to buy a sled, we say, well, wait to see if it snows. And it snows, and then you try to go, and there's no more sleds because everybody bought all the sleds. We say, okay, next year we'll buy the sled. And then it's sunny, and we don't want to buy the sled. We say, it may not snow this year. And then it snows, and we don't, there's no sleds. Don't wait till it's snowing to buy the sled. Don't wait till you're down to look for a friend to pick you up. Be smart. And know that the sun is shining today. But I bet you that the sun's going to go down sometime. You're going to slip and fall. And if you got no one to help you up, you got no one to blame but yourself. We all need a Samuel, someone who makes us better. We all need a Jonathan, a person who strengthens us. But you know what we really, really need? This is the hardest one. This is the one that we don't want. We want one and two, but we struggle to find. We don't want number three. Number three, we need a Nathan. A friend who speaks the truth. We need a friend who speaks the truth. Fast forward the life of David. Good guy, lived good guy most of his life. Near the end of his life, had a little slip up. Young lady named Bathsheba, made some eye contact, made some more contact, ended up committing adultery with her. He was married, she was married. Bad situation. And then they have a baby, and then because David doesn't want to admit that he did something wrong, he has the husband killed, and eventually just takes her as his own wife and says, oh, look, the baby came, you know, six months after our wedding. And no one could do the math because they were didn't have calculators at the time or something like that. 
And he finds himself in a bit of a pickle. But you know the real thing that happened to David that was so bad? It wasn't that he committed adultery and murder, but that he justified it. He didn't believe what he did was wrong. He said, no, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. And he refused to admit his sin. And he basically said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's fine right here. And he kept rationalizing and justifying his sin. So God wants to change David. Why? Because God loves David. And God does not want to see David go downward in life. God wants David to hit his max potential. God wants David to be this guy up here. But in order for David to get there, he was one friendship away from reaching his max potential. But this one friendship, if he didn't have this one friendship, he'd have spent the rest of his life going downhill. So God sends him this guy named Nathan. Nathan comes and tells him a story. He says, hey, king, you're the greatest king ever. Let me tell you a story. He says, tell on, man. Nathan says, okay, there was this story. There was two guys. There's a rich guy who had lots and lots and lots of sheep, lots and lots of lambs, lots and lots of stuff. And there was a poor guy who had only one little lamb, just one little lamb. That's all he had in life. The rich guy had a guest come into town, and he needed to feed him. So he wanted to offer a lamb to feed the guest. So he had all his lambs, but he didn't want to share any of those lambs. He was selfish. So what he did is he went to the house of this poor guy, and he knocked him off, and he took his lamb, and he offered his lamb to this guest. What do you think should happen to this man, king? And David said, this guy's the worst. Bring this guy to me. We punish this guy. This guy is, this is the worst guy in the whole wide world. What this guy did is a sin, is a crime, is a travesty. And Nathan said to him the famous words. He said this. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Not like you are, like you the man, okay? But like, you are that man, okay? You are that man. And actually, I think in the Hebrew, it's, it's even like one word. It's like, Jew! <laughs> and David, for the first time, acknowledged his sin. For the first time, realized his sin. And David eventually repented, okay? And after Nathan goes on a little bit, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. I don't want to get into the story of David as much because what happened, David was living a lie. David was blind. Nathan came and said, you have sinned. And David realized it. And David, the trajectory of David's life, which had been heading in the wrong direction, changed. And David wrote, David repented. And David wrote the great Psalm 51, the great Psalm of repentance. And David got himself back. Why? Because God sent one friend into his life to speak the truth. This is the most lacking thing in our friendships today. is people who can speak the truth lovingly, but honestly and directly. And the reason why you don't have anyone in your life who can speak the truth is because anytime anyone has tried to, you have rejected them. You have shunned them. You have not listened to them. You have pushed them as far as possible away. And you have made sure that you have surrounded yourself by people who will not confront you on the things that matter. That's why if you continue in that direction and you continue to push the Nathans away, you are pushing yourself in the wrong direction because we all have blind spots. We all have things that we can't see about ourselves. I'll never, I, the one story I always think of is Joe. Okay, one time we were at uh, the, the graduation dinner thing. Okay, we're at a high school graduation dinner at the church and we're sitting at the table and I'm about to go up and give a speech and say a prayer and all that stuff and I had a, something hanging out my nose. Okay, and Joe's like, and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, and I had something hanging out my nose, okay? So I'm thankful that Joe was man enough to confront me and say, hey, Father Anthony. I'm thankful. 
Because if he didn't do that, I wouldn't say he's being nice to me. I would say he doesn't care about me. If he watched me walk up the stage, thing hanging out my nose, and I'm about to take a picture and shake hands with each of the graduates, and I would say that if he didn't confront me, that he doesn't love me. If you see me about to get hit by a bus and you say nothing, that's not love. We hide behind love. No, I don't want to upset the person. I want to upset. That's not love. You see me about to get hit by a bus and you don't say nothing? That's not love. It's coward. You know why the reason we don't like to confront other people? Because we don't want anyone to confront us. Like, if we're honest, let's be honest. Anyone who says something to me, I go crazy on them. I cut them out of my life. So I say to myself, I don't want to be there for the other person. We're not open to criticism, so therefore, we don't want to give it either. You will never, ever reach your maximum potential in life. Again, unless you are banking on, you're never going to have something hanging out your nose. You're never going to have your zipper down. You're never going to have mustard on your beard. Unless, if that's what you're banking on, that you are never, ever going to have a blind spot, never have a sin, like even King David had a glaring sin that he couldn't see. And you think that you can get through life without it? Again, I have the best friends in the whole wide world. The best. And I have friends who are honest with me and tell me things. And I remember one time, several years ago, several, several years ago, I had some people tell me that, you know, Father Anthony, you know, like, you're very nice and very nice, but, you know, you're not uh, the most friendly. You're not the most welcoming. You know what I mean? My response was, what are you talking about? You kidding me? Uh, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you know, like, you don't make people feel very, like, warm and fuzzy and welcome. I'm like, you're crazy. I just gave a sermon about welcoming last week. Didn't you hear the sermon? Like, you want me to bring it? Like, I I'm very welcoming. I tell people all the time the importance of being welcoming. And they're like, well, you know, maybe, like, I, I, I can show you what you do. I'm like, okay, show me. And they said, okay, sometimes you're talking to a person, okay, and I'm talking to the person, and then, you know, and they're like, this is the other person acting out what I do. And they're like, you're talking, but you're kind of like, you know, like looking. And sometimes you'll be like, you kind of like make eye contact with other people. Why are you talking to that person? And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to tell them that there's people waiting. <laughs> I'm trying to tell them to pick up the pace. And they're like, that's kind of rude. You're laughing. I didn't think that was rude. Like, to me, honestly, I, I, I like it. I would want to know if I'm, like, someone holding up the line and there's other people waiting, you know. I'm direct, you know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. You have two minutes. Like, I like that when people tell me that. Talk to me for one. I like that. But apparently, that's somewhat rude. So these people confronted me and told me, like, you know, like, try not to do that. So ever since then, I made it my goal that when I'm talking to a person, I'm laser locked in there, okay? And that's why. That's like why sometimes, and you all know this, when I'm talking here, you never find, find me a person who can say that they were talking with me, and then I said, oh, hold on one minute. Or did, I never. And sometimes you'll see me when we're talking, do like this. You know what I'm doing? I'm not scratching my belly, okay? What I'm doing is I'm turning off my phone because it's buzzing, and I'm basically saying, be quiet. I'm in the middle of a conversation with a person right here because that person confronted me and told me that. And I know the person on this side probably hates my guts, but when you're standing on this side, you appreciate it. So I say, the texter, the tweeter, the caller can wait for the in-person. In that change which I made was because somebody confronted me, and I'm thankful that they did. Because who was I hurting before I was confronted with this truth? In the end, I was hurting myself. I'm hurting the church, which I care about. I'm hurting people that I love. I'm hurting the ministry, and most of all, I'm hurting my own soul because God is going to hold me accountable to that. 
I'm thankful somebody said to me, you got something hanging out your nose. When was the last time somebody confronted you? If nobody's confronted you recently, then either you are perfect or you have made it very clear you don't want any Nathans in your life. Where do you see yourself with these three? We need Samuels to make us better. We need Jonathans to make us stronger. We need Nathans to speak the truth to us. Ask yourself this question. What might you be just one friendship away from? Like what might be just one friendship? What might be on the other side of just one friendship? And again, it's not just one friendship, but the right friendship. Not just saying find another friend, but it's saying find the right kind of friend. If you don't got anybody to speak truth in your life, then you got blind spots all around. You are one friendship away from overcoming an obstacle in your life, which you can't even see is pushing you down. You're one friendship away. You're one friendship away from reaching a new level because every time you hit this level, you find yourself discouraged. You're one friendship away from finding someone who believes in you and says, I believe that you'd be a better person and I want to support you. And I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. Too many of us are trying to do this life thing alone. And even Adam, go back to the very beginning of the Bible. Adam is as good a guy as there can be. God looked at Adam and said, Adam, man, it's not good for you to do this thing alone. You alone, you're going to struggle. I don't want to leave you alone. But too many of us are trying to do it on our own. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. I bet you, if you go deep inside, you start to ask yourself questions. A lot of the people here, if you ask yourself a lot of the things that I've accomplished in life, you can directly attribute it to relationships that God has brought into your life. Well, now I want you to think down the road. What might be on the other side of a relationship that you just haven't experienced yet? Let's stand up together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you because we know that you believe in us. And you have a great plan for each one of us. And you've given us the church here so that we don't have to do it alone. I pray, Lord, that you would bring friendships into, into our lives. The right friendship that like is ordained by you. Like you brought Samuel to David. He didn't seek him out. You brought Jonathan. You brought Nathan. Pray that you'd bring those same people into our lives. Whichever one we may be lacking that we can reach the full potential that you have for us, that we can live satisfied lives, joy-filled lives, that we can live rich lives the way you envisioned for us. We're tired, Lord, of the superficial. We're tired of just hanging out and acquaintances. Lord, we don't want more acquaintances. What we need is more friendships. And I pray that you'd help us to discover it through your body, through the fellowship, and through the, the, the community that we have right here. I pray that you'd bless every single person especially those who are, are struggling in their relationships these days. Help them to be the friend that they need to be, that you might show them the friends that you're trying to send into their lives. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks very much. Have a great week, guys.
can't catch a break. You've had your fill of old cliches.